Good morning, Element Church. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome you as we continue our journey and study through the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul will write before he's executed in Rome under the authority of Emperor Nero. And in many ways, this is Paul's final step towards cementing his legacy um, with the churches and the spiritual leaders and pastors that he has helped to lead and establish over the course of his life and his ministry. Um, these are in many ways his final words, written perhaps days or just weeks before uh, his life would come to an end. Now, I don't know about you, or I'm not sure if you've ever spent time with someone who is in their final days. You know, the long, as long you live enough life, eventually that just becomes a reality. Uh, that those close to you, that people that you love um, will come to the end of their life. And if you're fortunate enough, which it's not easy, but it is something that can be a great blessing. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to be able to spend time with someone um, as their life comes to a close, uh, it's such a special moment and opportunity um, for that individual to share final thoughts and parting wisdom. Um, like I said, you live long life long enough, um, everyone will eventually uh, have that opportunity. It will be a reality for their life. Um, as a pastor, um, that's just a part of life on a much more regular basis. Uh, the last time that I spent some final moments with someone was just this past fall. Uh, someone who uh, my family and I have loved dearly for many years, uh, that I had the opportunity to spend uh, as their pastor for many years. Um, this fall, my family and I we were out on a camping trip. We were packing up camp, um, just getting ready to head home when we got a call uh, that this woman that we know uh, had been sick for a while and we had been praying for her and her family. We got the call that uh, their treatment efforts were not successful, that this was coming to the end. And she had requested that I come by the hospital to spend some time with her and pray with her um, in those final moments. And uh, because you don't get to control the timing, uh, we went straight from the campsite to the hospital. I hadn't showered in three days. Um, I smelled like campfire smoke and we uh, just had to tell our kids, hey, you're just gonna have to sit in the parking lot um, for a few hours. And so we went inside and my wife and I were able to spend some time with this, uh, this lady and pray with her and encourage her. And you know, when you spend those final moments with someone, what they do is they talk about things that actually matter. If you knew that your time was coming to an end, what kind of things would you talk about? My guess is that you would recount fond memories of moments and experiences that you had in your life and things that you got to share with those you love. You'd probably share some insightful wisdom. You'd reflect on lessons learned throughout the course of your life. You would remove all the distractions and things that don't really matter and focus only on what really does matter. In many ways, that's what we're getting in Paul's letter to 2 Timothy. His encouragement to Timothy 
to remove the distractions in your life and to focus only on what matters. And so Paul spends his final days writing this letter to a young pastor, trying to encourage him to forget the distractions and focus on what really matters. So this morning, as we continue our journey in 2 Timothy, um, we're going to do so, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Now, this would take several slides for me to get all the text on as we read through it. So what I'm going to do this morning, instead of putting it all on the screen right now, I'm just going to read through it. If you want to follow along, uh, you can follow along in the Bible app. It's already laid out for you. And then after we read through the whole passage, we'll go back and we'll look at it verse by verse. And then we will we'll put it on the screen when it's in smaller sections for us to fit. And so here's what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says, remind them of these things and charge them. He's talking about the church that Timothy leads. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so that's the section that we're going to focus on this morning. And here's what I want to do. I want to highlight the most important point Paul is trying to make in this section. And it comes right in the middle. And here it is. Verses 20 and 21. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, how do we know that this is the main point Paul's trying to make? Well, there are two clues. One is a clue within the text itself. Um, Paul uses a creative literary device. We usually call it intercalation, but all that means is a sandwiching, meaning he'll talk about a subject, then he'll take a break, 
and then he'll return to that same subject, effectively creating like a sandwich. And whatever is right in the middle is what gets the most prominent attention. And so what we see is that before and after this, Paul talks about two things. He talks about quarreling and fighting, and he also talks about truth. And so he sandwiches this little analogy between those two points. The other reason we know that this is Paul's main point is because this is something that Paul loves to do throughout his writing. He loves to use practical, real-world examples to illustrate the main point that he's trying to make. And so here, Paul is laying out what all of us know just from regular life, that in your house, there are things that are honorable and there are things that are dishonorable. There are things of great value and there are things that are somewhat worthless. Now, it's not as popular today, but I'm guessing all of us, most of us, grew up in a house where you had different levels of dinnerware. You had fine china, you had your regular everyday, just kind of plates and bowls and cups, and then you had the cheap stuff. In my house, it was like just the cheap polyurethane plastic plates. That's, that's what the kids used. And so in my house, we had the fine china. Uh, we had just the regular porcelain or ceramic. I don't know what it was actually made out of plates that we, we ate on like most of the time. And then when it was just the kids eating or when we were responsible for making our own food, we were relegated to just the plastic stuff. Now, I am so glad that we don't really do that as much anymore, mostly because I'm so cheap and frugal. The idea of spending tons of money on plates that you use once a year and that require their own furniture uh, seems like such a waste of money. And so I'm so glad that in our house we don't do the fine china thing because it seems silly to me. But that used to be really popular, that you had different sets of, of tableware that marked different uh, levels of importance. So when the fine china was out, it meant important people were coming, people that deserved or needed to be impressed, or some kind of major celebration was happening. And if it, the kids were just making their own mac and cheese, use the plastic stuff. And that's what kind of Paul is talking about. Like, hey, we all know in our house there are things of great value that are precious, and we know there are things that don't really matter all that much. And so as Paul is trying to tell Timothy, hey, let's forget about the distractions. Let's focus on what really matters in life. This is Paul turning our attention to that reality. Let's talk about things that actually matter, not the things that don't. And here's one of the big points for today. You get a choice about what kind of life you will have and what kind of life you will live. This idea of will your life be one that is honorable or dishonorable? Will your life be something that is useful in the hands of God or useless 
in the hands of God. You get a say in the matter. Now, this is pretty significant because Paul usually doesn't say things like this. Paul really likes to talk about the sovereignty of God and his control over all things and how all things are done by him and through him and for him. But here, Paul takes a break from his normal language usage to say that, hey, guess what? You get a say in this. You get a say in what kind of life you'll live. And Paul's going to make two main points. He's going to talk about the foundation that underlies this honorable versus dishonorable, this useful versus useless. He's going to lay a foundation for how we understand that. And then he's going to give us some practical, real-world advice, like this is how it actually plays out in your life. We're going to cover both today. Now, normally we could split these up and we could do one in one message and one in another message. We're going to cover both today. And, and here's what I'm going to encourage you is to just be open to which one sticks out the most to you. When we talk about the foundation that undergirds this whole idea, when we talk about the real world application, what sticks out most to you? And this morning, we're going to trust that the reason that one of them sticks out more to you than the other is because that's God's way of using the Holy Spirit to say something to you about what he wants to do in your heart and in your life. So we're going to start by talking about the foundation. And in order to do that, we'll go to the beginning of the passage. So we're going to go back to verse 14. And here, Paul opens... Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to prevent, present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I told you this idea of quarreling or fighting um, sandwiches that middle section. We'll see him talk about it again. But he starts by talking about, about people who spend their lives debating and fighting over pointless, worthless things. And then he'll go on to tell Timothy to do your best. Like I said, you get a say in this. You get a say in whether your life is devoted to things that are honorable or dishonorable. You get a say in whether your life is useful in the hands of God or useless. Do your best. Do your best, Timothy, to rightly handle the word of truth. This is the foundation that lies underneath how we understand honorable and dishonorable, useful and useless. And I'll show you why in just a minute that I say this is the foundation. That we are to devote our lives not to worthless, meaningless fights and debates and quarrels, but we are to devote our lives to do all that we can that is in our power, to do our best to devote our life to the word of truth. So let me show you why I say that is the foundation. So we'll move on to the next couple of verses. But avoid irreverent babble, 
for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. Be thankful that your parents named you according to the 20th century. I guess some of you are young enough, you were named according to the 21st century uh, standards and not first century names. But that aside, let me just say something about um, these two individuals who Paul is holding nothing back. I mean, he straight calls them out. How would you like to make your name to make it in the Bible, but this be why, right? That would stink. But he says, they've swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. So let me just give you some background. This is not really the point I'm trying to make, but just some context. So Jesus resurrected from the dead. The Bible talks about his resurrection was the, was the, the beginning of a new resurrection. It was the first fruits of a new resurrection, a new life. Christians began looking forward to another great resurrection. It was talked about all the way into the Old Testament that one day God would fix this world. He would return it back to the original design of creation that he intended for it. And when that happened, all those who, who had died yet were in faithful covenant relationship with God would be resurrected to new life where we could live in harmony with God once again. And these individuals we're beginning to tell people, hey, the resurrection, not just the Jesus's resurrection, but this great grand resurrection that the Bible talks about, it's already happened. So there's no need to waste your life talking about it, worrying about it, living for that future reality. It's already happened. The train has left the station. You've missed out. Move on with your life. And Paul's trying to counter this like, no, obviously it hasn't happened. So ignore these kinds of people who come to you with these debates and fights over words and this irreverent babble who's stirring up controversies. Ignore them because they've become a distraction. Instead, focus on what matters most. So this conjunction is actually pretty important here. Because in the last verse, we ended it with this idea of us being focused on the word of truth. And then he uses this word, but. Meaning Paul is providing us a contrasting opinion or, or a contrasting example. In opposition to the word of truth, but. That's important. I'll show you why in just a minute. But. So he's giving us the opposite of the word of truth. And again here. He's telling us more about what we should not waste our lives pursuing. Just like the debates and the quarrels he mentioned in the other verses, here he's talking about irreverent babble and, and more and more ungodliness. So now we'll move on to the next verses. And this is where that conjunction comes into importance. So he says, we should focus on the word of truth. But in opposition to that, let me talk to you about something that's, that's not the word of truth. And then we get another conjunction here. But, but God's firm foundation. So he tells us that we should be focused on the word of truth. Then he gives us a contrasting example. And then he contrasts that, which means he's going back to 
what he was originally talking about, which makes that word of truth God's firm foundation. Our lives are to be built on the firm foundation of the word of truth. I'm going to jump down a little bit into this passage, only because we see what Paul starts doing is we start to see this sandwiching effect that really highlighted what was in the middle, that whole discussion about honorable and dishonorable. And so we jump down several verses, and again, he's going to tell Timothy, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Again, we're talking, right? He's sandwiching these ideas. We're talking about the same thing. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So again, we get this idea of these controversies and these quarrels and this foolish and these irreverent babble, all in opposition to what our lives are supposed to be about, the word of truth and the knowledge of the truth. And so we get this contrasting idea. You have the word of truth on one hand, and on the other hand, you have pointless fights and quarrels. You have irreverent babble. You have these foolish, ignorant controversies that stand in opposition to the word of truth. But our lives are supposed to be founded upon the word of truth. And when our lives are founded upon the word of truth, and as we live in that reality, the goal here is that God may lead others to a knowledge of the truth. So here's the big point on the foundation. The things we say must be founded on truth and must be designed to lead others to truth. So I want you to think about the things that you say. Think about the things that you listen to. Think about the things that you write and the things that you read. Are they rooted in God's firm foundation of the word of truth? Or are they a part of this collection of useless fighting, irreverent babble, and foolish, ignorant controversies? You have a choice. What really matters most? What will your life be marked by when it comes to words? Will you be a man or a woman of God whose life is founded upon the word of truth? Or will your life be marked by pointless, worthless, useless, ungodly words? Because the foundation that stands underneath this honorable versus dishonorable life, this useful life versus this useless life, the firm foundation that stands underneath it is God's word of truth. Now, actually, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this word of truth next week as we jump in, into chapter 3. But the two points that Paul's going to make, the first, the foundation. The second how this actually practically works out in life. So we've already read um, most of these verses, but, but I'll read them again. 
So he says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. That God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So for someone who wants to be an honorable vessel in God's domain and wants to be useful in God's hands, here is what their life must look like. They must pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And they must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting their opponents with gentleness. Again, you have a choice. What do you want your life to be about? What kind of vessel do you want to be in God's house? And what kind of tool do you want to be in God's hands? You get a choice. You get a choice about whether or not you'll do your best to rightly handle the word of truth. You get a choice about whether or not you'll cleanse yourself of these dishonorable fights, babble, controversies, and passions. You get a choice if you'll pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You get a choice if you'll be the kind of person that is kind to everyone, able and willing to teach truth, patiently enduring evil and opposition, and if you'll correct others in truth and with gentleness. You get a choice. As I think about these things, it's hard to imagine a life that could stand in any more opposition to our culture today. A culture that largely evolves, not evolves, revolves around pointless fights and debates over words. That revolves around irreverent babble and ignorant, foolish controversies. Is there any greater way to stand in contrast and opposition to our culture than to be people who stand on truth and the word of truth? Is there any greater way to stand in opposition to our culture than to be a people who pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace? To be people who are kind to everyone. Not just kind to the people who agree with you or who look like you or who act like you, but kind to everyone, able to teach. Now that doesn't mean that everyone must be a skilled communicator, but able to teach and to talk about truth. To be willing to patiently endure evil and opposition. The kind of evil and opposition that Timothy was enduring 
We talked about this several weeks ago. People who were calling into question his giftings, his authority, his leadership, his qualifications, his allegiances. And then to correct your opponents with gentleness. There's not a whole lot of gentleness that takes place in our culture today. You get a choice. As Paul's focusing on his final words, as he's cementing his legacy for Timothy, he wants to turn his attention away from the things that don't matter, to to remove the distractions in life and focus on what matters most. And for Paul, what matters most is to not get caught up and worthless debates and discussions, but instead be people who, who stand on the foundation of the word of truth and who live lives of righteousness and faith and love and peace to live a life that's kind to everyone, who's willing to patiently endure the opposition that you'll face in life And when you teach and speak truth, you do so with gentleness. You get a choice. What kind of life do you want to live? Do you want your life to be one of of honor? One that is honorable in God's domain or dishonorable? Do you want your life to be something that's a useful tool in the hands of God or a useless tool in the hands of God. Paul here says we get a choice. What will we do? What path will we take in our lives? What matters most? Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would, um, in this moment, both, both encourage and challenge all of us. That you'd encourage us by the fact that, that you want to do something special in our lives. That you want us to be honorable vessels in your hands. That you want us to be people who can be the agents of love and peace and kindness and gentleness to others. Something that many in our culture are so desperate to have. But Lord, that you would also challenge us. That we get to choose what kind of life we live. That we get to choose whether our lives are honorable or dishonorable. That we get to choose what foundation we put under our feet. Whether it's 
silly, foolish controversies and debates or whether that firm foundation is the word of truth. Lord, all of us come to you from a different place this morning. Would you speak to us? Would you show us those areas in our lives that we've ignored, but that you want to draw attention to? Something that you want to do in our hearts? Would you challenge us that as we look out on our culture and society, we, we find ways not to participate in the ugly, but to be, to be avenues of love and peace and gentleness and kindness. That we would be a people, that we would be a church, that we would be individuals known for those things. Lord, thank you for speaking us, to us this morning. We turn our attention to you, to lift you high, to glorify you.